Welcome to Life in Accounting, the Where Accountants Go podcast. Life in Accounting is the podcast for everyday heroes like you working in the accounting profession. Are you ready to hear from accounting influencers, thought leaders, visionaries, and other professionals leading change in the accounting world? Then stay tuned for Mark Goldman, a CPA, the owner of Where Accountants Go, and your host. Welcome to Life in Accounting. The way it works here is everybody has their client list and their own personalized kind of hours that they're going to work at MLR this year. And as long as you are taking care of your clients, we kind of have the philosophy, we don't really care where you work or when you work as long as the clients are well served. Hello, everyone. I'm Mark Goldman, a CPA and your host for Life in Accounting, the Where Accountants Go podcast. That clip was from our guest, Dana McCartney, tax partner with Maxwell Lock and Ritter, a firm based in Austin, Texas. Just a couple months ago, Maxwell Lock and Ritter was recognized by Accounting Today as one of the 2017 best firms for women. I contacted them to see who I might be able to speak with about this honor, and Dana very graciously accepted the invitation. As you're going to hear from Dana, she's personally experienced the flexibility that MLR offers, and it sounds like she's really done well at achieving balance in her overall life and career. It's a really interesting story. Make sure you listen all the way to the end on this one, though, because we also discuss how flexibility is definitely a part of the equation. But making that list went much further than just flexibility. It's really a culture that started from the top there at MLR. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you find that several items ring true, please visit our website at whereaccountantsgo.com for our 70 plus other episodes highlighting the careers of other everyday accounting heroes just like yourself. Once again, that's whereaccountantsgo.com. With that, let's go ahead and get started. Here's Dana McCartney of Maxwell, Locke, and Ritter. Well, hello, Dana. I'm really looking forward to this interview, so thank you for making the time for it. I've heard early February, when we're actually recording this, is sort of a busy time in public accounting, so I appreciate you making the time for the audience. Good morning, Mark. It is starting to get busy around Maxwell Lock and Ritter. What I do, we have to wait, unfortunately, for 1099s to come out mid-February, so I have not gotten in the thick of it yet, just I'm trying to get ready. I'm happy to make time for you. Thank you. Yes, yeah, I hadn't thought about that. You've got, you've got another week or so before it gets too busy. So. <laughs> That's correct. Well, for the audience, we're on the line with Dana McCartney, a tax partner with Maxwell Lock and Ritter, or MLR, there in Austin, Texas. And as you can imagine, obviously, Dana's time tends to be a little booked as we get into this busy time of year. So I really am honored that she's spending some of it with us. I asked Dana on the show for all the normal reasons, of course, to discuss her career success and insights but also because her firm was just recognized as one of the 2017 best accounting firms for women. And I figured it would be helpful really for all of us to find out more about the culture that they've worked to build there at MLR. 
Before we get into that, though, Dana, I always like to start at the beginning so our audience gets insight, really, of how you got to where you are today and, and where you came from, so to speak. What initially led you to accounting as a potential career option in the first place? Well, when I was at Texas A&M, I started out as a pre-med major and about a year or so into that had seen some of the things that were going to be required and decided that was not what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. And my mom is a math teacher and my dad is a CPA. And so numbers is something that I was very good at. And so started looking at how to use those skills and decided that accounting was the best place for me to utilize my skills in that area. Though I did at one point think about being a math major, my very practical CPA dad said, what are you going to do with that? And so I stuck on my path of becoming a CPA. Interesting. At what point in college or how far along were you with the pre-med? I switched right. I can't remember if it was my second semester or, or the beginning of my second year, my sophomore year. But after taking a lot of science classes and being in the pre-med program, I decided I wasn't sure I wanted to dissect a cadaver. (laughs) 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 After a tour of the medical school and having been very competitive throughout high school, I was not looking forward to four more years of being very highly competitive to be able to get into medical school. As a side note, my oldest son will graduate from medical school this year, so I actually am getting to live that vicariously. (laughs) Thank you so much for saying that. I'm so glad you did because I was thinking I'm pretty sure it has to do with blood or something, but I I don't know how to tactfully ask. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for breaking Sure. (laughs) You're actually the second pre-med major turned accountant that we've had on the show, Ryan Bartholomew who was about three episodes ago, is real active in TSCPA, and his situation was very similar. He didn't mention a cadaver, but other than that, it's very similar. (laughs) Well, throughout my career, believe me, I I think there's a lot more of us accountants that started pre-med than probably we want to admit. So that is interesting. Interesting. Well, what was your first job out of college? So when I graduated in December of 1986, I went to work for Price Waterhouse in their Denver office. And originally I went as what I was looking at it as an internship, though they though I was a full-time hire because I was planning on going back to grad school the next year. And not sure how old you are, if you recall, back in the 80s, the economy in Texas was struggling after the big oil dip in the early 80s. And the job market in Texas was not as good as in some other places. And so I was looking for a place to go. Actually, what I was looking was not to be in Dallas or Houston. I had done an internship in Dallas and just did not have the desire to be either one of those and so was offered this opportunity in Denver and having skied some during high school, decided that would be a fun place to go and work. So took the job in the tax department of Pricewaterhouse in January of 1987. And so that's where I started my career. Okay. Okay. Yeah. In Texas, we were going through oil, real estate, and savings and loan issues. Yes. (laughs) That was was a bad time. (laughs) Having grown up in Midland, the oil part sticks in my mind a little bit uh, more than the rest. But but actually, as you mentioned, the other, um, the talk of the real estate 
downturn in Austin comes up periodically, and I did actually know people that worked for the the government for the savings and loan bank closure. So I do vaguely recall all of that. Yes, the RTC is what you're referring yes, to. Yes, that is yes. correct. Well, we could talk about this later, but I actually did a, a short contract early in my career for the RTC. And so, yes, I, I am familiar with it. <laughs> you're very familiar with time. it also. <laughs> So how long were you at PwC or Pricewaterhouse? At this so, and I appreciate that correction. It's funny because even on my resume here at MLR, I have it listed as Pricewaterhouse and not PwC because the years that I worked there, it was only Pricewaterhouse. And so that's how I remember it. It was interesting. I worked for Pricewaterhouse initially for about nine months because they recommended instead of me going back to A&M to get my master's that I apply to get my master's at the University of Denver. They have a master's of tax as part of their law school LLM program. And so I was accepted there and stayed in Denver, did my summer classes while I was still working and then did full-time for the next year to finish getting my master's in taxation from the University of Denver. And when I graduated from there, I then went to the Pricewaterhouse office in Washington, D.C. Several of my classmates in my master's program were lawyers that were going to work in D.C. for the tax court or for some of the congressional committees. And so it seemed like a fun, exciting place to go. And I was interested possibly in working like in the national tax office. And so went to work in the local office of Pricewaterhouse in the Washington, D.C. area after grad school. Wow. Okay. How long were you in D.C.? Well, I ended up not being there that long. So I started, I guess, in like August, I think, of 1988. And I moved in January of 1990. While I was in Washington, D.C., I met my husband and we got married at the end of 1989 and for a variety of reasons decided to move to St. Louis after, after our marriage. So I transferred one more time with Pricewaterhouse to the St. Louis office of Pricewaterhouse and started there in January of 1990. Okay. How long did you end up staying with Pricewaterhouse and and I guess what was your next move? So I stayed with Pricewaterhouse. In total, I, I kind of had about five years with Pricewaterhouse. I went from in January of 1990 till August of 1992 with Pricewaterhouse in their St. Louis office. My oldest son was born in January of 1992. And though the big, and I believe at that point it was the big six. So the the (laughs) large national firms were trying to figure out how to make careers in public accounting and being a mom work well. That was the early days and the amount of hours that I was working was more than what I wanted to work with an infant at home. And so I was looking at my various options and decided that What I thought I wanted to do with my life uh, instead was to teach at the university level. And so I was accepted into the PhD program at the University of Texas. And we moved to Austin for me to go into that program in 1992. I learned a lot from that experience. 
One is that professors do not necessarily have this cush lifestyle that I think they get a bad rap for. So, (laughs) you know, if you want to get tenure and, and work at a prestigious university, you're going to live the world of publish and perish, or, and you're going to be working 60, 70, 80 hours a week in order to, to get that tenure. And so into that program, I figured out that if I wanted to teach, I could do that with my master's degree, and that if I finished this program, I was just to be successful in that career was just going to be right back on the working more than I wanted to work schedule. So decided that that probably wasn't what I wanted to do. And my husband had a good job opportunity that had come up in a small town in East Texas. And so we moved there. Okay. Okay. I was curious. I saw that there was some time between Pricewaterhouse and MLR. And so I, I wasn't sure if you were staying at home. You know, raising family or you know, what the gap was. So thank you. Thank you for sharing that. You're right. So then my gap was once we moved and I, I did stay at home for about the next 10 years. I had two more children. I did a lot of bookkeeping, tax returns for friends and family. So tried to stay up with my CPE to keep my license up to date, but did not do any formal work for those 10 years while I stayed at home with my kids. You just couldn't get away from doing a few tax returns. <laughs> <laughs> no, when people know that you know how to do individual tax returns, there's always somebody that would like uh, for you to, to help them. And I have a hard time saying no to helping people. <laughs> so I guess what happened that caused you to make the decision or at what point in life did you make the decision to enter the workforce full time again? And, and what was that next step? So as it happened, the company that my husband worked for in a small town in East Texas had a change at the top, and it was a large publicly traded company, and they moved their headquarters to Austin. And so that ended up bringing us to Austin, and I had been homeschooling my older two sons. And so when coming to Austin, the school choices, we decided that we wanted our kids to go back into public schools. We had good public school options. And so once we moved and got them settled in school in that process, I had reached out to some of my contacts back from Pricewaterhouse. My husband is actually a CPA also and has lots of contacts. And so my resume had ended up with Maxwell Lock and Ritter through multiple contacts that we had. And so interviewed with them in the fall and and decided to start in January of 2004 after we had moved in the summer of 2003 to Austin. Okay. How long have you been a partner with MLR? So I was officially a partner in January of 2015. So I guess I am starting my fourth year. So I've been a partner for three years. When I started back in 2004 with MLR, I started on a part-time schedule. And I looked and I worked about 1,200 hours that first year with MLR. And as I progressed, I added about 100 hours a year. It wasn't anything that was ever said, you've got to work more, or that I said I wanted to work more. It just, with client load, and and that just uh, naturally built up. And 
I looked back and it looks like in about 2011, I was when I reached kind of a full-time hours. And I think in 2012, I switched to, instead of being a part-time person, officially becoming a full-time employee. But then we had been talking about becoming partner around that time had another little twist in that my husband had a job change because of an acquisition of his company, and we actually moved to living outside of the Houston area. So I I currently live outside of Katy and still work full-time for Maxwell Lock & Rudder in Austin. I work remotely to uh, usually about three days a week and come to Austin two days a week. Interesting. I didn't know that part. Okay. Okay. How long have you been in Katy? When did you know that happen? So, yes. Yeah, so we moved there in June of 2013 after my middle son graduated high school. So, so been doing this for about four and a half years and it w- has worked well. Uh, in fact, officially became a partner after the move. So it has worked out well for everyone and I'm very fortunate Maxwell Lock and Ritter has always been on the cutting edge technology-wise. And so we were paperless when I started back in 2004. And we have other employees that were working remotely out of the Austin area even before I did. I had, for many years, done a lot of my summer work remotely at home. And so it was something I was familiar with and our firm is very supportive of. And so it has worked very well. And I have a lot, I have flexibility in my schedule so that, you know, if I need to be here more, I'm able to and, and have tried different things over the years. But currently I am in Austin usually on Tuesdays and Thursdays and and working from home the rest of the time. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. And like you said, it's been working well a long time, four and a half years. That's quite some time. Wow. Well, let's talk about MLR then a little bit, other than being the largest local firm there in Austin. I mean, what what can you tell us about the firm? Are there specific specialties that you guys have? And and how large is the largest local firm (laughs) in Austin? So MLR, we are now, I think our headcount is approximately 106. So I think we have stayed over 100 now for a while. We always were almost 100 for a couple of years. And, And our primary niche is middle market companies. We don't work with publicly traded companies, but instead a lot of middle market companies and especially closely held middle market companies is an area that we we specialize in. We do a lot of real estate work, a lot of, I would say, the majority of our business clients are some type of pass-through entity. And then we also do a lot of work for high net worth individuals. We have a branch of our firm, the MLR Wealth Management, that does financial advising. And that there's a close relationship between that group and our tax department where we do the tax preparation for not all, but a lot of our wealth management clients. We also have a small family office practice where we do bill paying and financial reporting, primarily for a few large family groups. And those also have a lot of integration with our tax department. And then we have your typical audit practice and tax practice, including a due diligence group as part of our audit practice. So we're pretty diversified, though our sweet spot is those kind of middle market companies, especially the closely held ones. 
Okay. I was curious if there was any room in there for audit with all the with everything else and 106 people. You, you guys are busy. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Well, let's let's talk about the accounting today listing. Specifically, quote the 2017 best firms for women. What do you feel made the difference with MLR? What helps you guys or what puts you guys on that list is what I'm really trying to ask. I would say what puts us on that list is our family-friendly, flexible schedule availability. So in the tax department, we would say, I don't know who works full-time and who works part-time and who has a reduced schedule because the way it works here is everybody has their client list and their own personalized kind of hours that they're going to work at MLR this year. And as long as you are taking care of your clients, we kind of have the philosophy, we don't really care where you work or when you work as long as the clients are well served. And so that has allowed for women to empower them to have a career that they want to have at a prestigious firm, and also meet the needs of their family that they desire to. So we have full-time working moms and we have part-time working moms. And we also, because of our leading edge technology, people can, as I do work, work remotely, I would say there's almost nobody here, even during the peak of tax season on a Saturday or Sunday, because everybody's working from home so that they don't have the travel time and so that they can do their work in between their other family activities. And so I think that overall environment that was when Earl Maxwell and Tom Locke and Mark Ritter started the firm. They wanted to have a different kind of environment and they wanted family to be an important piece of the firm. And so the culture has built up around allowing people to work in a very wonderful work environment with great clients, but also be able to fulfill themselves outside of work. So I may not even say this right, but I'm curious it sounds like you're you're very focused on let's take care of the customer, make sure the work gets done. To what extent do you track and manage by billable hours? So we do, as part of our goal setting practice, our goal setting, people set their own billable hours based on their work schedule and their mm. their commitments. That is approved by their two partner advisors. And so each person is held accountable to what they have committed to as billable hours. And because we have so many people working different flexible schedules, part-time schedules, we are not doing direct comparisons of each person. And so I, I think though billable hours are not ignored, they are not our number one judge of how people are performing. Okay. And so they set their own goals. Interesting. Interesting. Do you find that many of the individuals sort of start like you do or you did where they start working part-time and then the, the schedule varies over the years? I would say, yes, that a lot of people's schedule does vary. So we are unique in that we do not hire people directly out of college. We utilize interns during the spring busy season for prep of tax returns. And then we also have an affiliation with a firm in Coimbatore, India, that we utilize staff there 
for tax preparation. And so most of the people that we hire in the tax group are going to have at a minimum three to five years of experience. And the majority of those will have been with either a big four firm or probably a large regional firm. And they are at a point in their career that they are looking for a different work environment. And so we offer them an alternative work environment where they can can still utilize that knowledge and skills that they have developed at those big firms, but on a flexible schedule that they're that they're wanting. And so that's where the majority, I would say, of the women, especially in our tax group, have come from big four firms. They're getting at a point where they're looking at wanting to to have a family and not wanting to try to juggle what they're having to juggle with the workload at a, a big four firm. And so we provide a good alternative to them and then their schedules you know, do vary based on the age of their children and their personal desires and needs. And so we bring people in at both full-time and part-time. Okay. Okay. Just so I make sure I cover everything, is there anything else that you could put your finger on that makes it a particularly you know, women-friendly environment <laughs> there at MLR? You know, I, I think one of the things is that MLR has a certain amount of a decentralized culture. And mm. so decision-making is done a lot through teams that are created. And those teams have not just partners on them, but probably are primarily made up of associates as well as support staff. And so a lot of the initiatives and things that needs a wellness room that nursing mothers can use, different activities that are done, taking into account that maybe a lot of people are want to get together and do things like during the day, during work hours and not after work hours. And so those different initiatives and activities are planned primarily by associates. And so that allows the voice of the women of the firm to be heard. And what I think is typical based on some statistics that I saw recently where um, 70% of firm partners are are male versus 30% women that you kind of have at the associate level, the opposite where you have 70% women and 30% male. I, I, was, I don't know the exact statistics here at MLR, but I would say we're probably around those typical figures. But I think because of there's so much decentralization and empowerment for decision-making at the associate level that that a lot of our policies do reflect the needs and desires of the women in our firm. Okay. Very collaborative environment, too, it sounds like. Uh, yes, it is. As opposed to directive. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Now, I have to circle back on this. You said something that intrigued me. You're using a firm out of India for basic tax preparation, it sounds like? Yes, that is true. We have an affiliation. I can't remember exactly. We now have a partial ownership in the firm. Maxwell and Ritter is part of an organization that's now called CPA America International. And it is an affiliation of similar size firms throughout the United States where we collaborate. Um, we use it for training, conferences. But one of the Benefit is if you have a question on a tax question related to a tax return in 
Washington State, I can call the Seattle CPA America firm and ask that question to someone there and get that assistance and they will do the same if they have a Texas franchise tax question or or something like that. But one of the, the firms in Oregon had an affiliation and started up the firm in India and through that organization, we became involved in that and utilizing staff over there. We consider them our staff. We send people to India every year to do training. We provide feedback and advising to those India staff year-round. And so we do, you know, our model is built to utilize them for the initial tax prep and, and some initial review in order to smooth out the hours and workload for our, our staff here in the U.S., it helps greatly. A full-time employee at MLR would is considered 2,300 hours, which I believe is, hmm. you know, substantially less than the the national firms. And so, being able to meet all of our client needs and also maintain the family-friendly, flexible work-life balancing atmosphere and culture that we've developed at MLR, having the India staff to do that data entry and and initial preparation has allowed us to be successful at at that. Okay. Okay. Just briefly, any thoughts on what it takes to make that work well or, you know, any any advice for a firm considering, because that's not exactly outsourcing. There's more of an affiliate relationship with you guys, but any, any advice? So my advice is that the way we do it with the affiliation and having the relationship, we have a designated champion here in the U.S. that a lot of his time is spent coordinating with Vite staff and having good communication between them and us. I think that's an important piece of it is that we view them as part of our staff, part of our firm, and not just a place that we send our staff to. And so we invest a lot of time and money in training them and helping them to learn our processes and to continue to build them up so that they can do more for us so that we can do more for our clients. And so... That would be my thought is it's not a something that we just view as shipping stuff to them and getting something back, but it's a, a true integrated part of our firm. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. I didn't anticipate talking about that, but that's, that's even more good content. So thank you very much. Sure. <laughs> well, before we get to the final questions, I, I know you're quite active from a volunteer standpoint as well. I, I saw a couple organizations and there's probably even some stuff I don't know about. What, what do you do with that side of your life? <laughs> so I'm going to segue into that with saying that MLR, one of the three stools that we kind of, our firm is built on is community. So we divide our firm up into clients, people, and community. And so Historically, being involved in the community is something that is encouraged and supported at MLR. And so over the years, I have been involved in different organizations uh, in different levels. But as I mentioned before, when I 
started working at MLR part-time, I had three children at home that were in first, third, and sixth grade at the time, and we had moved to a new community and were putting the older two in public schools for the first time. And so I wanted to be involved in their schools, and so I joined the PTA board of the middle school initially and From that point on, while my kids were here in school, in the Round Rock school system, I served in one capacity or another on a either a middle school or high school PTA board. So I felt like that helped me be in touch with what my kids were doing, but also helped me be involved in the community here where MLR is. And so I I served as different roles, but primarily as treasurer for many years as being a CPA, though I actually um, did serve as, as president one year of the McNeil High School PTA board. And so that allowed me to use my skills as a CPA, but also to do it in a different environment than uh, preparing tax returns or reviewing or signing tax returns. Sure, sure. Before we get to the final questions, any anything else you'd like to cover about the firm or volunteer activities? So I forgot to ask about <laughs> uh, the the other nonprofit, the one that I am currently serving on the board, is called the Final Acts Project, and it it's been designed to try to educate the community through the arts about end-of-life issues. And because part of my specialization is estate planning, and so I have I did some certification in, in, in that area, I felt like that would, might be a good fit with my desire to, I am always trying to encourage my clients to have an estate plan, to have a will, and so we have partnered with this organization to try to help educate the, the public as to the importance of that, of those documents and, and the, that decision-making being done while you're well and able to, to make those decisions on your own. And so the Final Acts Project is still relatively young organization. We're moving into trying to create a portal to have educational materials available for use for people, not just individuals, but also for people in the healthcare community. Educating them is a big part of the education that needs to happen in order for for advanced directives and that end-of-life planning to be holistic and to be utilized. So the Final Acts Project has a, a website and, and people can look at that organization and, and what it's doing and could donate if they would be interested in supporting that. Okay. What is that website? It is thefinalactsproject.org. Thefinalactsproject.org. Wonderful. Okay. Yeah, I was going to ask if it was far enough along to have the, the website set up yet, but... Perfect. Perfect. Okay. Well, thank you. I do end every podcast with the same three questions because it's just interesting to, to hear you know, people's take on, on these particular items. The first one's usually the easiest. What has been your proudest moment? So looking at this, my proudest moment in my work life, in my career, would be becoming a partner at Maxwell Luck and Ritter. I think it said a lot about me and a lot about the organization that someone who had stayed at home for 10 years and had come back part-time and had moved out of the general area was valued enough to be made a partner. And so I'm very proud of that fact. 
that really does speak volumes about the culture and that they made you partner as you were moving to Katie or right, right afterwards. That really does say a lot. It really does. Well, secondly, tell us about a mistake you've made and what you learned from it, of course, because that's the important part. But frankly, the bigger, the better. We like the colossal you juggly mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> So I have to admit that I tend to be a perfectionist and admitting mistakes is something that I find very hard to do sometimes. That is one thing I have learned that it's good to to admit those and own those. But in looking back overall, probably the biggest mistake kind of career-wise that I made was going into the PhD program that I think I was looking for the grasping greener on the other side of the fence and did not really look into what was I really getting myself into and what were those opportunities. So if I probably had it to do over again, that year and a half was probably not time well spent in the long run for my family or my or my career. Well, you know, and it's it's important you caught it before it went too far. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. That is true. Yes, and, and, and you, you know, a lot of people would have stayed the course just because they thought they were supposed to. They were already invested halfway, so, and that would have been a mistake, so a worse mistake, so that is... That yeah, is knowing important. what you're not meant to do, I think, is a very important thing that you can, can learn in your career is that not everything's right for everybody, and so finding what's right for you is, I think, very important thing. Don't compare yourselves to others, but figure out what's important to you and build your career and your life based on what's important to you, not what other people think is important. Very true. Well, last question, and then we'll go ahead and shut it down. What is the best piece of advice that you have ever received? So, I find myself as always kind of thinking that I have the right answer and that I that I know the right answer. And so one of my partners at one point in time very tactfully told me, you need to learn to listen. <laughs> and so, <laughs> and I feel like for me personally, that is the best advice that I have been given is learning to close my mouth and listen to what other people are saying and their ideas and their thoughts, I think has been invaluable to me. And especially when you're working with clients, it sometimes takes very attentive listening to know what question are they asking or what do they need? Because we often use terminology that is different than what regular people use. And being able to listen to them and figuring out really what they need, what question they're asking, then allows me to be a better advisor to them to answer their questions better. And so I have worked on and and continuing to work on to listening attentively and, and not always speaking first. Mm, That is good advice. Actually, my wife gives me that same advice, usually once a week. (laughs) (laughs) That is good advice. Thank you very much. Well, this has been a a wonderful interview. I I knew we were going to get into the discussion of culture there, but we went a lot deeper than I thought we would have time for. So thank you very much. I really appreciate you covering that. Well, I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about Maxwell Lockenritter. 
those of us who work here think it's the greatest place in the world to work. Wouldn't want to work anywhere else. And I appreciate being able to, to share our culture and the great place that, that I'm a part of. No problem. Well, for our audience, this has been another episode of Life in Accounting, the Where Accountants Go podcast. If you haven't yet visited the home website, please do so. We're going to have the notes for this episode and, of course, every other episode we've done. We also have a job board for accounting jobs in Texas. We have a list of organizations, professional organizations for the accounting community in Texas. And we have links to all the different certifications that are available, including the CPA certification, of course. On that note, Dana, do you have any other final words of wisdom for the listening audience? I think what I would say is, as you can see from my career, that there's not one way to be successful in public accounting, that my twists and turns throughout my career have still landed me where I think when I graduated from Texas A&M back in 1986, which was being a partner in an accounting firm, that I have accomplished that goal, though I also have accomplished many more probably personal fulfilling goals of being a wife and a mother and teaching my kids to read and and all of those. So don't feel like that you have to do it just the way everybody else does it. Keep your goals in mind, but be flexible on how you get there. That's wonderful advice. The options really are endless. Wonderful. Well, thank you again to the audience for joining us. We will see you next week. There's more to come.